Welcome to Grace 360, a vibrant discussion on issues of diversity that we hope is engaging, biblical, and slightly entertaining. The goal of these podcasts is to create a healthy, honest, and helpful discussion for Christian educators, parents, and students from a biblical perspective on current cultural issues relating to diversity. Diversity for our purposes is related to the acrostic grace, gender, race, age, ability, culture, and economic status. While we don't have all the answers, we hope our discussion is thought-provoking and helpful. Welcome to Grace 360. Well, welcome back. Um, Dan Panetti and I are here with some amazing moms that we're getting to know, and we wanted to bring them into the conversation. Cindy DeLeon and Tamarcus Raglan are actually at their paid jobs. They're teaching this morning. Um, so they are getting paid by their jobs. Dan and I have a little bit more of a flexible schedule. So we wanted to get to know some of the moms that we have the incredible opportunity to work with. So um, I will let them introduce themselves, Julie Sparks and Mandy Robinson, and tell you a little bit about um, their their situations and um, why we've brought them into this conversation. Well, thank you for having us both here. I'm Julie Sparks, and I um, have five children with my husband, Randy. Uh, We met in college, uh, college sweethearts at 18 years old. And uh, we have Savannah, who is our youngest. She's 11, and she has special needs. And then we have Corbin, who is in seventh grade, and uh, our twin girls who are in ninth grade, and then we have a junior, um, all at uh, Prestonwood, a private school. Hi, I'm Mandy Robinson. Uh, My husband David and I, um, we have been married for nearly 11 years, and we have two daughters. Our oldest is eight years old. Her name is Isla, and she um, attends Prestonwood Christian Academy. She's in second grade. And then our little one, her name is Vivian. We call her Vivi. She is two and a half. She'll turn three in May. And she has Down syndrome. So I'm really excited to chat with you guys today. Thanks for having us. Well, I'm grateful that y'all are here. And Mandy, I want to start with you. You and I, um, you reached out to me and um, we attend the same church. We're members of the same church and we have kids at the same school. And you reached out to me with a desire to um, discuss deeper the idea of having a more inclusive school in regards to special needs. And so through that, we've gotten to know each other a little better. And I've gotten to see your passion for a more inclusive and equitable school with special needs. And can you give me some of your thoughts on that? When we first met, you know, I got a met precious Vivian and we got to meet her and and all that God made her to be and so can you give me some of your thoughts on on why schools need to be more inclusive and what that means to you as a family sure um we we actually found out about Vivi's diagnosis when we were about 10 weeks pregnant we found out hey if you have a blood test you can find out if you're having a boy or girl really soon and we thought that was pretty cool so we said why not uh, we had never had a genetic test before, uh, and so when we, um, when we received the call that it was most likely that, that Vivi has Down syndrome, um, you go through a period of questioning all of the things that are going to happen in your life, and um, I feel sad to say that it was a grieving process because you have this expectation of what you think your life is going to be like. Uh, one of the first things that came to my mind is where is she going to go to school mm. and what opportunities is she going to have? At that point, Isla, our oldest daughter, was um, at PCA and it was it was just heavy on my heart. And I just remember thinking, what is this going to mean for her future? And that was also coming from a place of not knowing a whole lot about Down syndrome and not knowing a whole lot about what opportunities were out there for special, special needs. <clears throat> and so 
as we progressed and, and found out a little bit about the school system, it became very clear to us that the options are a little bit limited. Um, the public schools by law have to be held to a certain standard and have to have modifications for children that may have challenges or needs. But unfortunately, Christian schools are not held to that same standard. And uh, I don't think anyone's intentionally excluding kids that may have differences or needs, but they, um, th there's not really a support system there. Uh, for us, what we, what we desire and what we, we believe is that we want a place of belonging for our daughter. Not, not to be just included, not inclusion, but a place of belonging where she feels like she's supported and that she has people that love her and are helping her along. And Julie, you, your daughter's a little bit farther along the path um, with this. Can you give us some of your experiences and thoughts in regards to um, the initial realization that your daughter had special needs and how that played out in regards to education and your family? Sure. Whenever we were pregnant with Savannah, um, I knew something was different from the beginning. She's the last of five. And uh, I kept bringing that up, and everyone kept reassuring me, oh, no, you know, she's fine. She's just a little smaller. And then when we had, even when we had her, um, you know, everything was there. Everything looked, you know, like, you know, the way it's supposed to textbook-wise. But I just knew looking at her, she just looked a little bit different. It wasn't anything just jumped right out at you, but I knew, and my husband, you know, I finally said to him, there's something different. And then when um, she wasn't eating well when we were in the hospital um, and she had lost a little bit too much weight, she earned herself a trip to the NICU. And when you're in the NICU, you get every specialist under the sun. She was the healthiest kid in the NICU, okay? Um, and quickly she started eating and things were fine, but that's when it just progressed. And so we knew something was different. We immediately were able to rule out things. But um, I was definitely in shock. You had mentioned a sense of mourning you know of what you thought was going to be and having five children now under the you know five and under um my friend holly and my friend lisa were um in the room with me my husband was down in the NICU and i remember them both holding my hands and i was you know just teared up and um i'll probably for the rest of my life tear up when i say because it, it was just such a sweet moment and my friend Lisa, who has an adult son with uh, a disability and then two other adult children, um, was standing there. And I just said, what does this look like for my family? Like, I'm just thinking about their future. And she just said, they will be better for it. And that has just, you know, stuck with me forever. And I think you would agree and had even mentioned it that it, that's the truth. And so progressively, um, we met with different geneticists along the way. Um and then eventually got a clinical diagnosis for her, which uh, is CDLS, which is Cornelia DeLange syndrome. And um, it's just as a spectrum of things. And she's considered on the mild spectrum from the standpoint that she doesn't have heavy medical needs. We count that as a blessing, right? Because we see other friends um, and acquaintances that have some of the cognitive and uh, different things that we have, but then added to that is just the medical. It's just that, is my kid going to be alive tomorrow? You know, and so um, I think my kids being so young, and we just kind of all just talked about that a little bit, 
they, it wasn't any different. My oldest being five, it's just a brand new baby doll that she gets. She's had four, you know, three other baby dolls and she has a fourth now, you know? And, um, so from that standpoint, they just grew with her and, you know, the big differences in her didn't occur until a little bit later. And um, she, w- she hit those milestones, but she hit them at the, like the very last day. Um, we joke that um, one of the milestones that we were told what, that was a big deal was a baby rolling over by a certain standard of time. And that, you know, I don't want to say dictates, but it gives an idea of what's their fine motor, what's their motor, their cognitive, right? And I don't remember what that is. It's like, I don't, I, I can't remember what, what it is, but it's like that day. It's the last day. It's in the evening. And I was just looking at her. And we actually have it on video, which is totally random. And I was like, baby girl, baby girl, if you will just roll over, mama will buy you Mercedes, baby girl. We, I will buy, which is like hilarious in our house, right? And I kid you not, that little girl just flipped right over and looked up at us all, and it's all on video. And then I guess it was like when she turned about four, the real end Christmas gift were the you know electric cars, and there was one, and it was the same price as every other car, and it was the pink Mercedes. And I was like, that kid is getting the pink Mercedes. I told her she would, but um, which leads me to just we always celebrate the even the littlest thing, you know, no matter if we hit it early or late, but. And it doesn't come without difficulties, for sure. Okay, so Mandy, um, when you talked about education for your daughter, and, and you mentioned, right, as you looked at the different options of, of what's available, what have you already, like, learned and discovered about what's available for your daughter, uh, and what have you been told about maybe why she couldn't attend a particular school or, or what options are not available to you guys as a family? Yeah, I, we're early in the process of trying to figure out what makes sense for Vivi next. She's She's been um, in therapy since she was born for occupational therapy and physical therapy and speech. But now that we're coming up on her turning three years old, this really transitions to the school district where they have a program that's for children that have disabilities. And then you go on to kindergarten and on. Um, what we've learned is that there really are no Christian school options really in Texas that are providing full inclusion. There are schools that may have a group that are completely pulled out that have challenges or unique needs, but there's nothing that's com- that's complete belonging, complete general education, and providing modification. Um, my daughter, it's becoming a really hard conversation. I had my eight-year-old who is attending a Christian school and she asked me if my little one was going to be able to go to school with her. And I, I don't know how to answer that question. What, what should be happening is that Christian schools should be leading the charge in inclusion and belonging. And the public schools are doing it because they're legally bound to it. They have to do it. And our dream and our, our goal is to help push Christian schools to really be at the forefront there's really no reason that they shouldn't be doing it. I understand that it costs money, uh, it costs additional resources, it costs time and energy, but it's absolutely necessary. It's the way, Jenny, when, when we've talked, it's the way Jesus would build a classroom. It would have all of us, it would have children that are different, it would have children of all different races and, um, and cultures, so it's, it's so necessary. Uh, I think that's one of the one of the things as, as Jenny and I were talking about you know this particular issue, uh, and we look at you know the acronym of Grace, right? The gender, age, 
uh, race, age, ability, culture, and economic status. The, the ability one is a really difficult one to wrestle with um, because it's a, I think it's an easy dismissal of saying, well, we just can't afford it, we just can't do it. And you put money at, on the table and say, this is why we don't have a greater diversity right, in ability is just because it costs too much. And I'm like, well, all right, I think this is one of the things, as you said, that the church and the Christian school, right, the Christian community as a whole needs to ask that question of why are we letting money right, be a hurdle Right, of really being able to have families be together. And, and as you said, right, being able to allow children with differences to be in a classroom where we know that that classroom and those other students are going to be benefited right, by having those students in there as well. So if money is the, is the, is the reason, right, I think we need to be asking this question saying, why haven't we put, pushed this to the forefront right, to say, how do, we, how do we get over that hurdle? Because we, we know it's a real hurdle that schools have, right? But obviously there's ways to get around that and, and to get over that, and I think it needs to be done. Yeah. And I think that there's that other argument that says, well, if we can't provide a good loca- – if we can't provide a good education for these students, then we probably shouldn't even try. I've ha- heard that argument quite a few times of we just don't have the resources, not financial resource. We don't have the resources in order to help them educationally, so it should not – we shouldn't even try because we'll end up hurting them more. And what is your response to something like that? I, it, it doesn't make sense. If I'm just being honest, that if we can't provide it and it, we don't have the resources, then we go find them. Mm-hmm. We are in the wealthiest area of, I mean, one of the wealthiest in the entire country. We, there is money out there. Fundraising can happen. We would be able to bring together a group, in my opinion, that could serve children and provide a high level of education, just like, just like they are to what, your typical children. So. The resources are out there. There are consulting agencies that will come out and work with you on what you need to do in order to modify and create a really a uh, environment of inclusion. Um, I I don't see any problem that we can't overcome. And there are there are families out there that need this. We in fact when when you say that it's because there's a money issue, I think that schools are missing out on a on a tuition opportunity. If I have two children and I'm putting one and I have another, I don't know that I'm going to be able to keep my other daughter at a different school because the message is so wrong, in my opinion. Um, and then when you have child- the families that are splitting their children up, they're missing the opportunity to get additional tuition because they're putting their child somewhere else. I know something else that we've discussed a bit is the impact of special needs um, on the siblings and what that looks like. And I know, Julie, that's a passion of yours, is that we don't always consider how siblings of kids with special needs, um, how they process life and how they do things. And so could you give us a little insight into that? Sure. Um, my, my kids have always just kind of mothered you know, uh, our littlest Savannah, because she's the baby of the family. Um, their friends have been around her forever, right? And so she thinks of their friends as her friends. So I have three, just to put it in perspective, right now I have four teenagers, three girls that are in high school. So sometimes I think that's more challenging than our little one's challenges just with the emotional aspect of life. But with all those girls, we have one boy in the mix, but with all those girls, you know, um, they, they've always been very, very sweet, very kind. My, my twins that are now in ninth grade, um, they've said to me before that um, it, 
it showed Savannah was able to show them who their true friends were. And I had a long conversation with them about that because I said, just because somebody doesn't come around and because it makes them uncomfortable doesn't mean they're not a true friend. It's exposure. It's all about exposure. I mean, we talk about, y'all have talked about that so much, which I've loved hearing um, in the car when I'm listening to y'all. But um, they said, you know, the ones that keep coming back um, are the ones that they, they feel like are they're going to be their lifelong true friends. And um with but with that it does get I think when they were younger they had a little bit of anxiety um when we would bring Savannah to events not that they were ever embarrassed from her by her but when they when they're really young right little kids don't care like you can throw your goldfish in the air you can wet your pants whatever uh, kids just don't care at that age but you get to that that you know, that kind of preteen, teenage part where, you know, the kids are combing their hair a little different, maybe actually brushing their teeth in the morning, that kind of thing. They start, you know, having self-awareness. And so I think that was when my kids, you know, just had a little bit more anxiety um, about, you know, if Savannah was at something with us and would have an outburst or just upset, you know, um, then as they've become more into high school, again, they're at that phase where, well, they don't really care what anyone else thinks right now. You know, this is their life. This is their sibling. That's a good thing to me, right? That's a that's like you said, that's where we're getting a blessing other kids aren't, where we're putting ourself aside and it just we want our daughter to be a part of us um, in everything we do. Um, in the classroom, I mentioned to you earlier, We've we've had it both sides of it. One we've had where we we had an instructor that was actually throughout the R word here and there, and totally didn't. I even told my kids that instructor does not even realize what they're saying, even in the way they're saying it doesn't make it okay. And so I encourage them to say something um, in private. Just go to them and. They didn't want to. They just were like, no, no, no. Well, we found out another student did. And then from that, that teacher realized, you know, that my child was in the classroom, reached out to my child, well, me first, and asked me how she, the teacher should handle it. And I said, you should handle it however you want to. You know, apologized to me and all that and reached out to my child and was just so apologetic and, you know, took ownership, you know, spoke to the whole class about it, you know, that was huge for my kid to see that an adult can even make a mistake and they can make it right. Um, the flip side of that is we, she, my oldest was telling me about her um, history teacher um, talking about the Holocaust and talking about um, Hitler's mercy deaths, trying to just, you know, get rid of the disability, uh, disabled community. And I'm waiting for her to tell me something horrible that the teacher said, right, and how she just sunk in her seat. And she said the teacher was so careful in what they said and making sure that it was a respected community. Um, and she even said to me, the teacher clearly set the tone because if the teacher had, you know, been any any somewhat derogatory, not even meaning to, well, then that just opens the door for the other kids. And so... You know, there's been things specifically socially and in education where my kids, like I said, have probably had a little anxiety in there. But again, and I'm always going to go back to it, they're better for it because that this is life. 
right? And they've learned so many lessons early on. Um, they don't they don't necessarily see things as um, odd. They see it as different. Um, an, an example I'll use, if I can, is um, one day I took Dan's son. I was going to take him home. It was like an early release day. And they're both working at school, and so I'd offered to take him home with us. Well, they didn't live far from the school that Savannah was at, so we stopped and had lunch with Savannah. Well, when you have lunch in public school, you get you you get to sit on the stage, right? You're not allowed to be amongst the general population. It's all protected, right? So we're on the stage. So he, the kids can see out over this mass of students. And you've got all the deaf ed is at her school, right? So you've got kids with blinking uh, ears. That's what we call it all over the place. You've got um, a little girl who keeps taking off her prosthetic leg and rolling it away because she doesn't want to put it back on. And her friend's telling her, you have to put it on or you can't play soccer today. Like, it's not odd. It's just facts. And so we're all sitting there and I'm thinking, okay, what's Dan's son going to say, right? Like, he's a great kid, but, you know, what is he seeing? First thing he says, because we're at a school that we wear uniforms, this is a public school. They don't wear uniforms. He looks around. He goes, I can't believe they can just wear anything they want. And, I'm, and I will never forget this. This was years ago. And that goes back to me about when you're little, you don't see everything else, you know. Um, and so I just I think it's so important that we expose kids when they're little to these differences. And I think that's why for my kids – it's not a difference. It is their way of life. It's just like anything else in your family. Everyone has it. And so for their friends, it's been that way. Um, I do know that, you know, some of my kids have just internalized and stressed when they were younger about what does our little one's future look like. You know, we are building our future that she will be with us in our home. Um and I just know that I've seen that stress in them. Can you cut that out? <laughs> um, and that's hard as a parent mm-hmm. because sometimes I just, I want them to just enjoy childhood. You know, and I know other kids deal with the same thing with separated families or a parent that's going through cancer and all that. So we're not unique in that area, right? But, um, I, you know, so there's just different times where I think it's just an added stress. So, you know, one thing is I, I work at the kids' school, um, and one of the things that we've been able to implement is when a teacher pulls up a roster – there's a red mark if the kid has a medical need, right? So they automatically know, right? They can go into their little contact and, you know, automatically see if there's two parents or three or four or just one, right? So there's a lot you can read from that. You can't, as a teacher, unless the kid has told you or the parent, this kid has a special needs family member. And so I just... I'm always very grateful for the opportunity when we can share that. I don't ever want it a free pass or card to throw out, you know, um, but it does impact how they internalize things. And, you know, when you're talking in the future, you know, the additional things that they think about. So. Let me, can I ask a question just from a parenting standpoint? Because you talked about your kids, um, but as parents, right, with special needs children, how have other parents sort of responded to you 
Um, and what ways do you think that they could respond better? Because I know there's some things that you've, some conversations you've had, some things that have been said to you that you went, hmm, <laughs> right? Um, for, for a person, right, who doesn't have a special needs child, right, when I, when I meet you, when I meet your children, right, what are, th- what are some, you know, pitfalls that I can avoid where you've said, these are things that people have said or, you know, things that people have done that I wish people didn't do? I, I would, it's so interesting because I've heard everything you probably can imagine. Um, I've heard, I've heard, I've heard real derogatory things like, uh, your life is really hard. I, like I said, people really feel sorry for you to, um, really connecting with Vivi and even crouching down, looking at her in her eyes, in her face and talking to her. Um, people use words and they don't realize the words that they're using. Mm-hmm. She's not a Downs kid. She's not a Down syndrome kid. She's not a special needs kid. She is Vivi who has Down syndrome. Okay. She is Vivi who has some challenges. And when you put the word Down syndrome, and I'd say this about autism or anything else, that that is the title of who she is, it's not who she is. So I think if people can think about the way they're phrasing things um, and putting her first, she's a person. She's a person, and she's just different like all of us. One of the things my husband said when we were pregnant and I was going through a very emotional time um, after learning about her diagnosis, he said to me, that we all have something. Mm-hmm. We just happen to know what Vivi's is while she's still in your tummy. And we're gonna be just fine. Um, and it's absolutely true because we all have something. We all have something that we're dealing with, we're handling just like you said with families. We're all, we all have something. Um, I think the other thing is, especially with Down syndrome, I think it's a little bit more of a well-known type of syndrome or a genetic condition. And I think that there are some really stereotypes that go with it. She's always happy. She um, She's gonna be naive for the rest of her life. And I've had somebody say, gosh, you're so lucky. She's just gonna live in a place of being naive for the rest of her life. And like, it, like it's an innocence thing, but it's really offensive actually, because that's not what your dream is for your kid is that they live in a place of not knowing the world. It's actually a very scary thing to think that your child would never grow to understand. Um, I, I really try and take the intentionality behind what someone's trying to say and throw out grace as much as possible because if not you would live in a constant state of frustration or anger there are times when somebody says something and and i i will internalize it or go home and talk to my husband and go you're just not going to believe what this person said but i think it's being intentional about your words but also not taking a uh, a stereotype and putting it on her and saying gosh she's just so happy all the time and she is i mean she's a very joyful kid but I would almost rather them say that. She is so filled with joy. You can just see God in her rather than saying she's just happy because she is a, she is a, she is almost a, just, she's a hot mess. She's a, we call her a teenager because she's just, um, she's all over the place. Um, and I think what people could do more is to just look at her and talk to her mm-hmm. and engage with her. And it's also okay to ask questions. I think some people, um, I felt it probably a little bit with other moms where they're either scared to ask or they might skirt around um, what's going on with her. She had open heart surgery when she was four months old, but we've also felt really supported by our friends and our family and um, our church. We've felt incredibly supported. So it's a range range of different things. 
I would agree with um, just some of the things that have been said before. Probably um, the one that really gets to me is um, when I'm told, um, oh, well, God knew that you could handle this. He, he knew that we could not. And I'm looking at it. Honestly, I came home the other night because somebody said that to me. And I knew what they meant, right? And I looked at my husband and I said, I wanted to say, oh, so if you knew that you had a special needs, uh, you know, situation um, in utero, were you going to abort the baby or were you going to leave it on the street or put it up for adoption? Like, it it just, and I, again, it's, it's kind of just, sometimes I think people think they just have to say something um, and they don't. And then um, the other thing, and not this isn't just in regards to being a parent of a child with a disability, but in general is when I would hear people say, well, God doesn't give you more than he you can handle. And I'm like, uh, that's like in the Bible. Like I'm not supposed to handle it anyways. And so, again, I just people are trying to be supportive and helpful there for us just, you know, just doing life with us. Um, we joked that every child that we had you know, going from one to three to four to five so quick, we kept losing friends. <laughs> and I was like, oh, they just can't handle so many, you know, so many of us. Um, but, and there is some truth to that when you have a large family. Uh, but then definitely when we had Savannah, but I, I think part of it was some people did pull away a little bit, but I definitely pulled away. Some dear friends of ours that I've, I've known her, the wife since um, high school, or before maybe, uh, they had a daughter around the same time we had Savannah. And I definitely think I probably, in hindsight, I mean, we still talk now, but I pulled away because I, you know, if I'm looking back at it now, I was seeing the differences. The girls were only three weeks apart, and it was really hard for me. And I regret that as, you know, that would be something I would tell a parent, don't do that, you're going to regret it, because we could have done a lot of great things together. But I think just showing up, talking to my kid, treating my kid like any other. And mine doesn't always respond to you. Um, she might verbally respond. She might show you love by throwing something at you. She might respond. She has an iPad. She might sign to you, whatever it is, but just acknowledging her presence, which we really, our community that we've been in for the most part, you know, really does that. Um, and I think also asking my kids about her. You know, I take it, I, I think about my dad passed away uh, over 20 years ago, and I had really close friends and family that just wouldn't ask about him. And I'm like, well, it doesn't make it hurt any less, right? Like, he's gone. You can still talk about it. It brings joy to me. Well, so I think sometimes in, when you have a child with disabilities, sometimes people don't ask because they think, oh, like you said, like, it's awkward. or topic. Exactly. But it doesn't change it other than now you've kind of put it out there that she's not right. included. I'm ignoring your daughter. Exactly, yeah. right? That, that and help so um, you, you focus on their abilities. A, a lady that I met at a conference we went to, you know, we all became friends on Facebook, and she wrote the 10 things my daughter can do. And it was, and her daughter is more severe than mine. Um, so it was, my daughter can breathe on her own. My daughter can smile. My daughter can, you know, and it went up from there. And, man, that stuck with me. Like, what is it that we can do today that we couldn't do a year ago? Or what is it that we can do that some people realize it's a luxury, you know? And just you celebrate those little things. And you can do that as a friend, you know, so. 
I know as, as we've been talking, I'm, I'm brought back to John 9 where, you know, encounters a blind man and, the, and they say, who sinned? And Jesus said, no, no one sinned. It was so that my glory could be shown, you know, and, and I think of that as I think of your babies and your children and, um, and also what we're missing, um, the parts that we're missing as a Christian community by not being a place of all belonging and all inclusive and equity. And I know Mandy and I have been working with Elizabeth Dombrowski with the organization All Belong, and um, we've been getting ideas from her. She um, de- works with Christian schools on having that inclusive environment, says that it shouldn't be a financial hardship, that if anybody's doing this, it should be the Christian schools. And so I want to say thank you to to you two for helping us. I want to say that we're here to continue learning. Um, so if you need to stop us and say, hey, don't say that, or hey, say this instead, we are open to that. We, we make mistakes all the time. But um, also just thank you. Thank you for um, coming alongside us in this. And so um, I hope that we can continue this dialogue and that we can have you back soon as we continue to dive more into this discussion. And um, I guess uh, we hope that everybody else will listen again. Thank you. Thank you for listening to Grace 360 with two A's. As always, the views and opinions expressed in the podcast are for educational purposes and are not intended to be divisive or inflammatory in nature. We hope you listened and learned as much as we have in the process of producing the show and pray you'll join us for our next episode. And as always, you can find us on social media at Grace360. That's G-R-A-A-C-E 360.